0: And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program.
1: BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150, then Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.
0: Hey, my friends. We will be right back to the show. But I have a question for you. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. And I would love for you to dive into neuroplasticity about rewiring our brains, our neural pathways, and how to really take ownership over your life.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up too, because that is a huge thing that I talk about so frequently with my clients day after day, right? This idea of neuroplasticity, the simple principle that we have the ability and capacity to rewire the neural pathways in our brains. So to oversimplify a difficult concept, just to make it a little bit easier to understand, there's this region of our brain called the ventral striatum. It's essentially where the pleasure center of our brain's So as human beings, we are wired to prioritize the things that bring us pleasure and joy at the end of the day. So all the things that people prioritize, money, sex, family, all the different activities and things that we put first in our lives, we base a lot of our lifestyle habits and rhythms and patterns based on pleasure. So one of the key ways to rewire the neural pathways in our brains is to Invite opportunities to experience the joy and the pleasure and the satisfaction and gratification of a new, healthier habit and behavior. And over time, the pairing and the association between the stimulus and the dopamine that gets released in our brains in response to the pleasure that we receive is what helps unconsciously rewire and retrain our brains to then accommodate for new, healthier habits and patterns. It's something that I talk about all the time. I do a lot of couples counseling myself. And one way that neuroplasticity plays out is even in how we relate to other people, right? We, in relationships to other people, experience so much conflict and tension as a society, whether there's anger, bitterness, frustration, disappointment that interferes with our ability to connect with and relate to other people. But one way to rewire how we connect with and to become more intimate and more deep and have more meaningful relationships is to invite pockets and windows of opportunity to really experience pleasure and joy in how we connect with others. And one of the ways we do that is through holistic health and wellness. So that's part of why, from my perspective as a counselor, one thing I talk about very frequently is the biopsychosocial model, just this idea that, in order to maximize our capacity for being able to be as healthy and well rounded as we can be, we have to look out for four areas of our health and wellness our biological, our psychological, our social, and our spiritual health and wellness. So, in a lot of the things that I encourage and invite my clients to practice, there are pockets and windows of opportunity in each of these four categories to, on a daily basis, continually practice healthy habits that rewire their neural pathways and challenge them to experience joy, and pleasure and the new, healthier lifestyle patterns that they're living into day by day.
0: Let's go into that a little bit deeper, because I think that one of the things we could do here is set a precedent and a baseline for people to understand the science of actually what's happening in those moments, in those pockets of joy. Because yeah. even this morning, I'll give you a great example. Normally my mornings is like I wake up meditate, journal, go to the gym, get into the show. And this morning I woke up and I thought to myself, actually, you know what I wanna do? I'm gonna drive out to Red Rocks here in Denver. I'm gonna climb all the stairs as my workout. And I'm gonna sit there for half an hour and just absorb and be present and experience the world and let that thing soak in. And for me, like I recognize, I understand what happens in those moments where you're leveraging the thing that brings you pleasure in your life. But can you talk about and break down for someone listening right now? What is actually happening in the brain when you're stepping into creating joy in your life?
2: Yeah. So let's take one specific example, right? Emotional processing. I think as a society, we have a tendency of devaluing and minimizing the significance and importance of simply just being present with. Negative emotions. So one exercise and activity I encourage my and invite my clients to this is emotional check-ins. So I have this feeling words checklist that I give to a lot of my clients where it has a list of over a 100 emotionally adjectival words to describe your internal state of being, right? It's broken down into seven different columns, mad, sad, glad, afraid, ashamed, lonely, the list goes on. And the intensity of that emotion becomes greater and greater as you go further down the column in each of those sections. When you're processing whatever emotion it is, I'm so glad you brought up the importance of mindfulness because this is also an opportunity to us being present and aware with everything that's going on with yourself. So in addition to the neuroscience of our brains and what's going on, we're also primed to learn in a multi-sensory type of way. And so in order for us to really latch onto and soak in whatever thing we're trying to learn, we have to integrate as many of our five senses as we possibly can. So for something as simple as emotional processing when it comes to difficult or negative emotions, being able to sit in the moment, setting an alarm on your phone for any time of the day, right? It could be 12.30 during the lunch hour. It could be 6.45 in the evening. It could be early morning once you get up. 10 to 15 minutes, stop what you're doing, take a moment to look at that feeling words checklist, pick a word that resonates with you in that given moment and sit with that feeling. Whatever that emotion or whatever that feeling is in that given moment, simply just sitting with it and being present in the moment. And as you're paying attention to that emotion and that feeling, you're paying attention to everything that's going on with you somatic. And what I mean by that is, where are you sensing the emotion and the feeling in your body? Sometimes we minimize and we diminish the significance of how emotions physiologically manifest in our bodies, whether we get tension in our shoulders or jaws or neck or upper back area. So what ends up happening is when we take a moment just to observe and to sit back and learn from those emotions, we start to experience this sense of relief because we're like, wow, I didn't even realize that this was what was happening. So this region of our brain that I was describing, the ventral striatum, what ends up happening is from a neurological level, there's dopamine that gets released and there's this association, this cognitive association that your brain creates once the pleasure and the joy is then received and experienced by you. So from that experience, even integrating something multisensory as I'm going to pay attention to my body rhythms, I'm going to focus on my breathing. I'm going to focus on how I feel right now. I'm going to verbalize it and speak it out loud. So it's auditory as well. Being able to integrate multiple senses gives you the opportunity to really soak in that experience and go, wow, okay, in this moment, I'm learning about all these different things that are going on with me. Let me continue to do this because this kind of feels good. And there's a sense of relief that comes with being able to release some of that negative energy, being aware of it, being present with it, not ignoring it, not Distracting from it, but just being there in that moment.
0: Hey, what's up, Unbroken Nation? Just want to take a moment and invite you to be my guest at Think Unbroken Conference this November. That's right. Think Unbroken is hosting our Unbroken Con for free. It's five days of trauma transformation information with myself, special guests, and even some of the leading experts in trauma education from around the world. For five days, we're going to jump into what it means to actually take the steps to be Unbroken. All you have to do is register for free at unbrokencon.com. That's U-N-B-R-O-K-E-N-C-O-N.com. That's right. Five days of trauma transformation information with me, special guests, and some of the world's leading trauma-trained experts for free for five days this November. More details to come, but in the meantime, go to unbrokencon.com to register, and I'll see you there. One of the things that I really want to dive into here is this idea about emotions, because I agree with you. We do have the ability to retrain our brain. We know about neuroplasticity. We know about this idea of, you know, repetitive usage in the language that we have. We know about all of these things that happen, but sometimes people really leverage emotions to be the thing that often becomes a scapegoat for possibility in their life. One of the things I'm curious about, and you've said this before, is that emotions, they aren't good or bad and that feelings are signals. What do you mean by that?
3: Well, our brain naturally doesn't want to feel bad. So when we say pain is our motivator, you know, we're trying to get, it motivates me to drink and eat and, you know, go shopping so I don't have to think about it. I I like to run away from those feelings that I consider bad. And our brain literally, Categorizes everything into good and bad. It's like, I lose my job. That's bad. I get a raise. That's good. And the thing is, all things work together for our good. And you can see how now you can see that your past is actually helping millions of people. Your goal is to reach the, you know, internationally around the world. You have big goals of using what appeared to be horrible and painful and what we would categorize as that's, that's bad and you've made good out of it. And so I believe all of us have the opportunity to make every single thing that happens work for us. And I believe the universe is for us. So even when it's seemingly, and that's, that's the key word there, seemingly, because our brain is programmed you know, fight or flight or rest and it's programmed that way. And so if we can look at emotion as signals that my emotion needs something instead of just being closed to this is bad, I need to run. This is okay. I'm going to relax. We can actually dive deeper and acknowledge I'm feeling angry right now. And usually I feel angry because I don't get my way. So anything that happens during the day that didn't go the way I planned, I'm like, you know, it just, it can irk me really easily. And so when I look at that and think, okay, I feel irked because I didn't get my way and my way is the best way, right? So I think that's the way it should go. But then when it doesn't, it's When I take a look at what is my anger telling me, it's like my anger is telling me I want to be acknowledged. My anger is telling me I like it my way. What can I do next time when I don't get my way that would still be a way to acknowledge and honor the way I feel? Because I think what happens is the other thing is, you know, as men, I think, you're taught, you know, don't cry and you, you know, it's okay to be angry, but for a woman, it's not a, it's not ladylike to be angry. So that we have, we have that too, where society tells us this is okay for you to feel, this isn't okay for you to feel. And so that adds to, am am I doing something right? And it doesn't have to be right or wrong. It's a signal. What does it need? So Kind of using like a question pattern of like what is this signal of being angry telling me and what do i want to do with it next time or how am i how am i going to honor my anger is there something i can do i i remember this coach had me break bottle because i was angry and we came up well What would feel good to my anger? And it just, it just came to me that breaking glass would feel good. And so I found a way to uh, safely break some bottles that I could clean up. And it, I mean, it felt good. And it was like, it's just a way it usually our emotions need to be released. And so EFT is another way to release them without, you know, breaking glass. Cause I told myself I would never do that again because I did not like cleaning it up. so. Tapping is easier for me.
0: Yeah, and, and what a great analogy for life, right? We have to clean up the glasses that we break. And and I think what's really fascinating about this is understanding, yes, you can make meaning of the emotions that come once you get, I think, a little bit closer into understanding who you are, understanding the emotional capacity, having a coach, having therapy, doing the work the whole nine. Because if you would have told me what you just said 15 years ago, I'd be like, you're out of your mind. Like, that makes no sense to me, right? And, and I think there is a process for this to make a lot of sense. you do have to do a bit of work around it. You know, and I, I think that's because trauma, these events that have happened, and the 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 trauma that comes along with it, you know, those are triggers that are trapped and entangled inside of our emotions, right? How do you manage that? Where on the one hand, yes, you're like, okay, I can reframe this. I can create a change in the way that I process and make meaning of these things, but I still feel so trapped or entangled inside of those traumatic events and experiences. How do you navigate that? How do you like start to reframe around that?
3: So those events become almost a part of us. Um, it's, you know, when we have events, it kind of runs a program in our brain. So what happens is you have a traumatic event and your brain is now programmed with this event. And so when I think of something, I run it through my broken thinking because that's what happened to me. And the program was instilled in my thinking. And so it's, natural for me to run my program of i'm afraid you know if i leave my full time job and start my own business i'm afraid um you know i'm going to be a loser without any money and it's because of past trauma experiences that are instilled in my brain that when i when i get a thought or a fear it runs the program of my broken thinking. And so we literally, we have to rewire it to different thinking. And that's why, you know, that's why we get help. Cause a lot of times we can't see our own broken thinking and that's why we can't do it alone. I, I don't know anyone who has been able to reprogram their broken thinking alone. We need each other. And that's, that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about being a coach. I want to pass on what someone passed on to me. I want to teach what tools worked better than anything else. And I just, I want to help people. I want to get the information out there. And that's what I think you're doing with your podcast and and your life is that you really want people to know there is a solution. There is hope.
0: Hey, Unbroken Nation. We'll be right back to the show. But I wanted to let you know that you can grab a copy of my first book, Think Unbroken, One of the things I'm curious about and, and that you mentioned is making your your brain the leader. And like, there's this weird thing that I don't think people understand that they actually have this huge amount of control over their brain. Can you talk about and kind of framework what it actually means to be the leader of your own brain? Yeah, so I see people all the time where their their
4: brains are leading that. And what I mean by that is, think about this. When you have, let's say, a bad moment in the day, like your friend upset you for whatever reason, right? It's not just that you're upset now at your friend. Then you start thinking about how rough your life is and you become upset with yourself. Then you start thinking about how bad the world is and you become, you know, really upset with the world. And it just takes you down this negative sort of spiral. And so the reason that the brain does that is because first and foremost, its job is to help you to survive, it needs to protect you. And so it's always looking out for those negative things, right? which is not always in our best interest. And so being the leader that our brain needs means that essentially uh, using our experiences to influence the way that we think and the way that we act. And so everything that we do every single day influences our brain's evolution our thoughts influence our brain's evolutions, the actions we take do so, the people that we surround ourselves with, the experiences that we have. And it's really about teaching people to make really conscious decisions daily so that their brains don't go down this negative route and instead focuses on the positive. Because when we focus on the positive, that also has this tremendous healing impact, not just on our brains, but also on our bodies and as
0: well as on our lives. What What causes that? Because you hear this all the time where people talk about having control over your thoughts, being positive, thinking like this. But why does that actually work? Like, What is happening in that moment and those processes that lead to this place where it actually has impact?
4: Yeah. So when you think about what's going on in your brain, so when you're having a lot of negative thoughts, right, so your brain sort of goes into, you know, you really turn on sort of your sympathetic nervous system. Your brain goes into fight. Uh, flight or freeze mode, right? So you're operating from a place of really chronic stress and trauma. And so you get chemicals like cortisol, which are um, being secreted and over a long period of time have a really negative impact, not just on your brain, but also on your body, right? Um, So a lot of people who are chronically stressed will come to me and say, look, you know, I, I can't make new memories. I'm having memory problems. And that's because something like cortisol actually causes the neurons, the cells in the part of the brain responsible for making new memories, it causes those cells to die off, right? So that's a really negative consequence of of having negative thoughts. Now, when you have positive thoughts, right, that causes the release of endorphins, a lot of the feel good um, sort of hormones. And so you start really thinking about your life in a completely different way. You start searching for the positive in things. um, And those Feel-good hormones, not, they don't just allow you to feel good, but they help reduce your blood pressure, they help reduce the levels of chronic stress, um, that way you're not having that negative impact on your brain and body, and it really promotes healing physically,
0: emotionally, mentally, as well as neurologically. Can I challenge you on something? Because I'm really curious. I've worked with a lot of people throughout my career and even had these moments myself where I go, there is absolutely nothing positive in my life right now. Right? When, and so my challenge to you in this is how, if someone has that thought process, do you navigate helping them find positivity in their life when it feels so not even necessarily only melancholic, but depressive and painful and sad and hurtful? You know, how do you really push someone, maybe is them the right word, but how do you help someone navigate into this place where they can associate or even create something positive in their thought process?
4: Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you a personal example. So for me, I was diagnosed with COVID back in January and I was hospitalized for uh, two weeks, right? And as a doctor watching your oxygen saturation go down is not a fun thing at all. And there were certainly days where I thought that I was not gonna make it. But COVID took its toll on my kidneys. It, sh- it just completely wrecked um, the kidney function that I had left and I needed to do dialysis. Dialysis was the thing that I feared the most. Everything that I did was to avoid dialysis up until that point. And so when they told me that I needed to do dialysis, I, I, I cried. Right, because that's not what I wanted to do. And so I allowed myself to feel those feelings, but then I told myself, okay, I can do dialysis the way that I've seen patients do it before in the hospital, where it almost seems like they're waiting for death, or I can decide to do dialysis in a completely different way. And so I went from feeling really depressed about my life, like, this sucks. This is not what I wanted. I'm tired of having to face my mortality to be like, I've, I've got to overcome this challenge. I've got to think about it very differently. um and so when I was doing dialysis, there were times where I was working on a lot of personal development stuff I, I was reading during dialysis, I was practicing French, I was doing interviews with news organizations and taking business meetings. Um, I remember one time, you know I was playing basketball with my sons and my son said something about me being sick. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm not sick. I'm sitting here beating you in basketball, (laughs) you know? So part of it is about changing the way that you think about things, but to help you change the way that you think, you also have to take completely different actions. You need new experiences, right? And I see people who every day do the same exact thing and somehow expect that their lives are gonna change. They think the same thoughts, they have the same routines, and think that their lives are gonna change. So sometimes you have to do things differently. And you also have to be very mindful of who you're surrounding yourself with. So I didn't surround myself with, you know, I didn't hang out with other uh, kidney uh, disease patients, right? Because a lot of times when you're hanging out with other patients, everybody's sort of down and they just talk about all the negatives and that's where their focus is on. Um, I hung around the people who saw that I was going through a difficult time in my life and acknowledged that and appreciated it, but also who saw the greatness and the opportunity that I had, the opportunity to connect with other people, right to help people who are in similar situations um, and maybe who don't have the same kind of resources uh, that I have. And when I say resources, it's the mental and neurological resources that I have. Um, So I think it's really about changing the way that you think about things, having completely new experiences, taking different actions, and making sure that you surround yourself with people that are going
0: to help you through these tough moments. So if you are in this place where it would be a benefit to step into a modality like this, how do you even notice it? How do you even put yourself in a position of being curious enough to step into the idea that this could be beneficial?
5: Well, I think the best thing to do is to sometimes see if you recognize the feeling of being driven by something other than the thoughts that you are aware of. I remember always feeling in my life like I was being pushed by something out of my control. There was just this frantic sense of running from life. And I, I don't know how to describe it other than I was thrashing around. I would, I would harm myself. I would um, be destructive in relationships. I would binge eat. I would do these things that it felt like some kind of autopilot that I didn't have control over was taking hold of my body. And what I know now is it was an autopilot, it was my nervous system and it was my fight and flight response or it was my freeze, my shutdown response. And those are ancient survival mechanisms that are hardwired into our bodies, but we don't understand that, yes, I, I want to make different decisions, I want to react differently, but at a very baseline level, we, we can't until we do the work of healing our nervous system as simple as maybe practicing breath work or finding a few drills that work for you, or just taking some time trying to read the internal signals that your body is giving you, even just those little small steps will help your nervous system start to move more into a parasympathetic state, a calm and response state. And then you can take different actions. But if you have that feeling that you are being driven by something beyond your control, it is likely your nervous system stuck in a state that no longer is serving you.
0: Yeah, exactly. Fight or flight is so real and 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 so informative of where we are in our life. And, you know, it's what's really fascinating is even now after doing all this work for, you know, over a decade and reading all the books and going to all the seminars, and doing all the things, it's still there, right? And it will still, for most of us, I would assume always be there. But you build these tools, you build these systems to be able to I don't want to say cope, but navigate through it, right? Because there are days, and yesterday's a perfect example. I, I remember I literally said aloud, like, I don't feel present in my body, right? And so that led me to this moment where I was like, oh, okay, what I need to do is I need to go to my journal, I need to meditate, I need to get back into my body, because one, we live in a very toxic and stressful time. So you parlay these two things on top of COVID, on top of you know, elections on top of all of these things. And it's no wonder we are all out of sorts at this moment, right? And, uh-huh. and I found this journey in this place of being willing to step into healing, right? Often, and, and look, I recognize this isn't always the case scenario, but it is way more comfortable to be within the context of the chaos of what I call the vortex, that place where you're not showing up, where you're hurting yourself, where you're binging, where My scenario, being overweight and smoking two packs of cigarettes a day is way easier than pushing yourself into being better. So how do you do that, right? You come from this place of understanding the abuse has laid down the tracks that put you in this position of depression and self-harm and all these other things. How do you push yourself into healing? Because I do think that there is a little bit of centrifugal force that is necessary to get you there.
5: Mm Yes. So a couple of things I've, I've listened to your podcast and I know you're a big believer in the morning routine and I am the same. I feel like it is something that I have to commit to so that I, so that my life doesn't kill me. Kind of like you said, like the stakes are high, right? So I need to do that. And then I make that morning routine Something that focuses not just on my cognitive thoughts, but something that focuses on bringing me back to my body. And so it includes a little bit of healing movement. It includes um, what I call a neurosomatic (laughs) meditation, which basically just means taking at least one minute to sit still and think about what do I feel in the bottom of my belly? What do I feel in the center of my chest? What do I feel in my throat? Can I feel the sensations on my hands? Can I feel the bottom of my foot? Can I feel like the foot, the space that my foot takes up in space? And just spending a minute coming into my body so that I'm starting to develop a skill of interception, which is just your brain's ability to read the signals that your body is sending you. And that those signals are given to you by one of your most important nerves, which is your vagus nerve, which is a really important nerve in self-regulation and getting you out of a high reactive emotional state. It sets all of the autonomic functions of your body, like your heart rate, your breathing, your digestion. And so just taking a minute to, try to feel as many sensations as you can on the inside of your body is actually training for your vagus nerve. You're actually making that nerve stronger and upregulating it. And then that is going to, over time, has huge benefits because that nerve is so important in controlling our automatic responses. So for me, I think a minimum effective dose is really important. Like how much will I set up in my morning routine that I will actually do? And so finding that sweet spot of the right amount of of work in the morning to not be so overwhelming that it only lasts for a week or two, but something that's really sustainable and then gradually building on that over time, you know, maybe I start with one minute and then I take it to two minutes and then three months later, I take it to five minutes so that I'm starting to see some of the benefits from the work as well. As I'm gradually increasing that amount of time of training my nervous system, but it keeps me keeps me wanting to do it.
1: Yeah.
0: And 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 I think that is a, a really important key point because so often we are measuring ourselves against do the yoga, do the meditation, do the journaling, do the visualization, do the no coffee, only the tea, and then don't do anything and then blah, blah, blah. And you're like, okay, hold the fuck up. Let me just do what I need to do to take care of myself in this moment. But yeah. there's lead up to that, right? So what's the lead up for you, Elizabeth? Because I think that it's really easy to when you've been in it for a while, kind of go, yes, this is my routine, this is what I do. I have an understanding of it. But in the infancy, for lack of a better term, of your your healing journey and getting to this place that you are now, what was that like? Because my reflection on it was being very difficult and tedious at times and really needing to double down on the idea that I knew there was a light at the end of this tunnel of some sorts.
5: Yeah, I think that is a really great question. And some of the things that I did to help get me here are one, I invested in myself and I got some help um, with other coaches or therapists or, uh, you know, joining a group that is working on, on healing together. I think that it's important to get help and support where you need it until you can make these things more baked in. Because I I don't think I could have done it alone. I don't think I could have done it just relying on myself. Community is really important to me. And so that was one of the ways that I began to cultivate this routine was doing it with others. And then I also think that it's really important to assess and reassess everything that you do because everybody's nervous system is very different and everybody responds differently to different things and we have different trauma in our past. So as I was embarking on this journey and trying to see what would work for me, I did, I worked with a bunch of different people. I, I took a bunch of different applied neuro, neuro courses and applied different things to myself. and And then I always tested do I feel better or do I feel worse after doing this and I kept notes about it and I started to really see what are my most high payoff activities is it these certain drills is it a respiration activity is it taking a bath is it going for a walk like what really helps me because sometimes sitting in meditation with your eyes closed when you're in a state of hypervigilance just pushes you into more panic not everybody responds the same to everything and so if you feel all of this internal resistance to doing something maybe listen to that and maybe that's not the thing that you're supposed to do maybe your body is telling you it wants something else entirely and so beginning to trust my body a little bit and trust my instincts and and ask it what what do you need body like sometimes i will really sit there and put my hand on my chest and close my eyes and ask my body how do you want me to be with you right now and Look for the answers there because nobody knows better than you do.
0: learn, grow, heal, change, and transform our trauma into triumph. I would love to have you come and be a part of the brand new community. Just check out thinkunbrokenacademy.com or click the link in the podcast description. And I cannot wait to see you there, my friend. Again, just head over to thinkunbrokenacademy.com. And until then, be unbroken. Thank you so much for listening to Think Unbroken And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program.
3: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it